0: Hey, good morning to those of you here in the room. Good morning to those of you joining us online. I'm so glad to have you here this morning. Uh, and I am so glad that it is spring adjacent outside. Isn't that nice? So yeah, more Lord, right? You know, But uh, it's good to be with you. I'm Kyle. I get to be one of the pastors here if we've not met. I'm so glad to be with you. Um, at a church I served in my Past, I was had started there, had been there a month or two, and every Sunday got up and said, Hey, welcome here. My name's Kyle. I get to be one of the pastors. And after a few times of that, somebody grabbed me and said, You just like to remind us of who's in charge, don't you? And I thought, Well, no, but that sounds good too. Um, no, it's that uh, here I am, and who is this guy talking to me? And we're a church that's growing, and I always want to make sure that at least people can identify. This guy. And so we're just so glad to have you here in the house with us. If you're joining online, we're so glad that uh, you are with us in this way, too. So let me invite you to stand. We're going to read a passage of scripture together and then worship. I belong to you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Let's sing together. But as for me, it is good to be near God. Father, as we draw near to you today, we are here for you. Not for what you can do for us. Not to please you with our perfection or impress you with our righteousness. Not because it's something we want to show off and do, but because we want more of you in our lives, and we want you to have more of us. And so, would you come, Holy Spirit, and move among us as we think and pray and sing and study together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. How y'all doing? real fast, a couple things. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 today, Uh, but before you get there, um, the Naturally Supernatural event next weekend, as we're trying to develop um, an intentional and abiding relationship with the Holy Spirit, we're engaging a long-haul two-year process to do that. And so next Friday and Saturday is the second of four workshops we're hosting on building that relationship with the Holy Spirit. And this one is emphasizing hearing God. So hearing God for yourself, hearing God for others. And you can attend that in person here inside this space or at home. Um, And there's some group work that we do, but you get thrown into Zoom breakout groups. It works out. So please register for that by the end of the week. Um, if you're a middle school or high school student, and I don't seem entirely disgusting to you, um, I am doing that. I would have appreciated if you had laughed more at that, because <laughs> now I feel insecure. Um, I'm going to be leading an eight-week uh, group on the Book of Luke on Monday nights uh, from 7:45 to 8:45 on Zoom. And so, if you want to jump in on that, this is your last chance. So make sure you grab me and talk to me about that. We're going to be talking about how Jesus kind of lives and how that shapes our living. So it'll be great. So Genesis 1. I wonder what comes to mind when you think about your body. It's a strange question to think about in church. Mostly because in church we don't think a lot about our bodies, and when we do, we tend to think bad things about them. There are a lot of messages that we receive from our culture, a lot of messages we receive not from the pure way of Scripture, but the way Scripture is often taught that causes us to think about uh, our bodies. So throw this first one up for me, would you? Um, A lot of us think of our bodies as a liability to be managed. Uh, Our bodies age, and they ache, and they decay, and we have to manage that aging and aching with medicines and doctors and specialists to manage the liability, to limit the liability that our bodies present us. Some of us view our bodies as an enemy to be conquered. This is the message sometimes of weight loss and fitness. Uh, Not fitness, whole pizza in my mouth, but like fitness, like workout people. Um, It could also be the message of Christianity, which tells us that our body is full of appetites and desires that have to be conquered and brought under our mastery. Uh, for some of us, the body is a vehicle for pleasure. It could be sex or drugs or alcohol. It could be hang gliding or bungee jumping. Our bodies are here for our pleasure, our fun. A uh, body could be, on the next one here, a, a celebrity to be glorified. Think of the way that most products are advertised. Whether it's a cheeseburger or laundry detergent, it's usually an only semi-clad person who is also stunningly beautiful, telling you that you should buy that cheeseburger or that laundry detergent. A lot of us view our bodies as something to be decorated and adorned and beautified, and that's not all bad. But just stop for a second and think about here in Trumbull County, we have a lot of two things. We have a lot of restaurants, and we have a lot of beauty parlors, right? The body might be a wallflower uh, to be ignored or even like this bobblehead. Something that's there, but something that we like not to think about too, too much. Uh, we would prefer to fill our heads with knowledge and ignore our bodies. Bobblehead. Some of us view our bodies as a cornucopia to be filled. You know what a cornucopia is? It's the thing that your grandma puts on her uh, Thanksgiving table. right? It's got gourds and apples coming out of it. Cornucopia, a horn of plenty. We view our bodies like that cornucopia to be stuffed full of every good thing. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. So a good question to ask is, where do these body images come from? Why is it that when we think of our bodies, we think of these things? Yeah, they come from messages inside the church. They come from our culture. But where do these ideas take root? Where do they grow? How many of you are going to answer that question with Gnosticism? Anybody? Gnosticism, $20. Thank you. Hold in. Had it in the back. He only knows that because he can see the next slide. <laughs> yes, Gnosticism. What is Gnosticism? Got, on the, got it on this next one. Gnosticism is an ancient way of thought which de-emphasizes the physical, like the human body and the material world, while placing a high value on the non-physical, the immaterial, the spiritual, the inner. Gnosticism crept into some early Christian circles uh, in a variety of ways. In fact, it's something that the letters in the New Testament are often addressing. One of the, ideas, the ways that Gnosticism, which comes from the Greek word knowledge, snuck into the early church was this notion that Jesus wasn't really human, and he didn't really suffer, or he just pretended to, Right? Uh, In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is addressing two ways that Gnosticism has affected that church. One is that there was a group of Christians that believed that marriage was wrong. Another group of Christians believed that sex was bad. And Paul, in that chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, addresses both of those realities. He said that both marriage and sexuality are a gift from God. Gnosticism is this belief that downplays the material at the expense of the immaterial. So someone with a body image that says, my body is a vehicle for my pleasure... They demonstrate a Gnostic way of thinking, a Gnostic tendency, when they fling their body over a cliff attached to just a rubbery string, because what their body is for is just to make them feel alive. Someone with the body image of a cornucopia and who is filled with uh, practices of Gnosticism when they just eat and eat and eat because the only thing their body is for is to make them feel good. Similarly, when the body is ignored or the body is conquered, it downplays the body to the expense of the inside. But here's the thing. It turns out that Gnosticism isn't all that ancient. Uh, look at this tweet that I, I found this week. Here's a reminder that you have the right to alter your body until you feel at home in it. Whether that's clothes, makeup, haircuts, or more permanent things like piercings, tattoos, hormones, and surgeries, it's your flesh vessel, and you're the only one who should get to design it. The idea of it's your flesh vessel is the core of Gnosticism. It says that who I am on the inside is what's truest about me, and what's going on outside of me in my material self is immaterial. It's irrelevant. It's up to me. By the way, if you go to your doctor this week, and he says, how you doing? And you say, my flesh vessel is fine, thank you. (laughs) What will happen is he'll push a little button, and some really nice men in white coats will come and take you to this really comfy room. It's padded, very luxurious. This idea of flesh vessel, it's Gnostic to its core, and it's that kind of Gnosticism that drives the LGBTQ movement, which says, regardless of how my body is shaped, regardless of the gender with which I was created, it's what's on the inside, it's the the immaterial that matters most. It's Gnosticism that drives abortion, because in the eyes of a, a culture, it's a woman's flesh vessel, and nobody's to tell her what to do with her flesh vessel. Gnosticism made slavery possible because it lets you ignore a person's humanity and their createdness in the image of God and use that body for your own f- economic gain and its physical labor. And I, lest I become like that guy that's just like yelling at the culture all the time, let me talk to you about the ways that Gnosticism has infiltrated uh, American Christianity even in this cultural moment because it's a not-so-ancient problem in the church. We stand in the tradition of the Protestant Reformation, and then in the tradition of Evangelicalism, two traditions that have historically ignored the physical embodied nature of our faith. In our tradition, as long as you believe the right things in your heart and think the right things in your head, it doesn't matter what you do with your body, which is why gluttony is the sin we talk about the least. We've inherited a suspicion in evangelicalism and in Protestantism toward Roman Catholicism and Anglicanism, those traditions that we jokingly call smells and bells, those traditions that invite you to use your body, standing, sitting, kneeling, genuflecting, the use of incense, the use. Of beauty. In fact, most evangelical churches don't have a space that emphasizes beauty like ours. Most evangelical churches buy a warehouse, paint it black, and have you close your eyes while really loud music blares. It's not about your body, it's about what happens on the inside. So, why are we talking about our bodies? We're talking about our bodies because we are in the midst of a series on fasting which is a practice that is, if nothing else, ruggedly and profoundly embodied. Fasting from food or drink or sugar or dessert, whether you fast for a 24-hour period or you're fasting for the 40 days of Lent from one thing, that fasting puts us in our bodies. And many of us realize in that moment that we don't know how to have an embodied spirituality. We don't know how to have an embodied discipleship. We don't know how, in the words of Paul, to honor God with our bodies. Which is why this morning I want us to look at what does Scripture say about our bodies, about how we are made. What does it say about our createdness? So let's look with me at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. It's like the first chapter of the Bible. I'm going to start in verses 26 and 27. Kai, go ahead and leave that up. That's perfect, bud. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. This is verse 26. They will reign over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and all the animals that scurry on the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Genesis tells us that God has created us as his image bearers, his icons. It's his intent. An image bearer in the ancient Near Eastern mind is not simply that we, like, look like someone. It's not like how Jack is my image bearer, my son. Everybody says he looks a lot like me. To be an image bearer in this culture, in this time uh, when Genesis is being written, to be an image bearer is to be a representative of royal authority, We are created to share in and express God's authority, which is why we're called to rule and reign over creation, both men and women. And if you flip over to chapter 2, Genesis kind of zooms in on our createdness, especially the creation of human beings. And in chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And man here, it's, it's a generic word. Adam means mankind into the man's nostril, and the man became a living person. See, Genesis tells us that the man, humankind, Adam, we are created with two parts. We are created with a material part, the dust of the ground, and an immaterial part, the breath of life. And as the Old Testament carries on, it develops more words and phrases for this material part. It calls it the body or the flesh. It also has more words for the immaterial part, heart and soul. And then we turn the pages in the New Testament and the dictionary gets bigger. It's body and flesh materially, but also mind and spirit and will and soul and heart. And these parts of ourselves, our immaterial part and our material part, they are intertwined. One gives meaning to the other. What happens to one happens to the other. We are inextricably held together in our createdness such that our material and immaterial parts, they're they're one. This is why after World War I, soldiers coming back from battle, they were described as having shell shock. Something had happened to their bodies, but then also it seemed like in that something had happened to their souls, and now we call that post-traumatic stress disorder. There's a really great book by Bessel van der Kolk, The body keeps the score, right? What happens to us emotionally is often expressed, is often expressed physically, which is why when I feel stress, I don't know where this happens for you, but I get this tightening right here, right? And we all do that different ways. Some people's stomachs hurt or, right? But we all, and this is a way that God has created us to show us that our inner parts and our visible parts, our material parts and our immaterial parts, are uniquely created as an organic unity, all of the parts working together, and Gnosticism seeks to break apart that unity. Gnosticism wants to say what we feel on the inside is more important than how we are formed on the outside, but this is not how we are created, and fasting is one of the ways that we honor and express our createdness. Scott McKnight says, A unified perception of body, soul, spirit, and mind creates a discipleship that includes the body. For this kind of body image, this unified perception, this kind of body image, fasting is natural. Listen to this. Fasting is the body talking, what the spirit yearns, what the soul longs for, and what the mind knows to be true fasting is one way that you and I bring our entire selves into complete expression. When we see ourselves as we've been created, when we see the dynamic, multifaceted unity with which we have been formed, it changes our body image. We no longer see our bodies as wallflowers to be ignored or bobbleheads to fill up the knowledge uh, not a liability to manage. We, we see our bodies as God sees them. We see our bodies as a gift, and we see our bodies as a resource. Look again at Genesis 1, where God makes us in his likeness, and in verse 26, he gives us a task, which we'll get back to in a minute. The task in verse 26 is to rule and reign. But we can't accomplish that task without our bodies. But, but let's jump down to verse 31 of chapter 1, which just says this. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. As God completes the work of creation, he calls everything His made, including our bodies, a gift. Your body is a good gift. It is not to be conquered, it is not to be hated, it is not to be idolized, it is a gift. In fact, it, like underwear, is the gift that keeps on giving. Because in the new heavens and the new earth, you and I will not spend eternity as disembodied angels playing harps on a cloud. We will spend forever in a body, in a body that is just like Jesus's after his resurrection, what's called a glorified body. And speaking of Jesus, your body is considered so good, your body is such a gift, that God himself experiences embodied living. For the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was hungry and tired and thirsty, and who knows what he experienced in stress. He had acid reflux when he ate too many tomato-y things. He, 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 He experienced all that we experience. And it's no secret that our bodies decay. It's no secret that our bodies rebel against us. The most vivid example of that is cancer. Our bodies rebel with diseases we don't want and allergies that make us crazy. And maybe even more dismaying, we find in our bodies these desires that are ultimately destructive to us and to those around us. And Paul calls that part of our bodies our flesh. He doesn't mean like our, our flesh. It's this immaterial part, this part of us that has yet to, To be brought under the full lordship of Jesus. This part that Paul describes in Romans 7 when he says, I don't do the things that I know I should do, and I do the things I know I should not do. But for all of its flaws, for its warts, and farts, and pimples, and smells, and aches, and pains, and illnesses, God says, Your body is a gift from me. Our bodies are gifts to be received. And they, are, and they are resources to steward. To steward something, it's this biblical idea that's very common in Paul's time. It's to manage a resource well, or to leverage a resource for an appropriate cause. Your body is a resource to steward. To align not with the purposes of the world, but the purposes of the kingdom. Listen, in Genesis 1, God gives humanity a gift. Oh, we interrupt this sermon to bring you an advertisement from Innovate Medical. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there? Okay, the, the computer just decided to stop. It's fine, no big deal. In Genesis 1, God gives humanity a gift, their bodies, and then He gives them a task, a task apart from their bodies they cannot accomplish. God tells them to rule and reign. To expand his presence over the earth, Adam and Eve. By the way, they choose not to steward their bodies and their resources well. They eat. By the way, have you ever thought about how the fact the fact that sin enters the world through eating? Not that eating is bad, but it's just interesting to notice that our the first sin is profoundly connected to our embodiedness. We are called to steward this resources in a way that advances the kingdom of God and the purposes of God and to do it in alignment with his character. And so Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, you must love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. And by the way, this is not like a list of our parts. Well, we have a mind part and a this part, and they're separate. It's just a list of this is everything that we have. Thanks, Holden. And that Hebrew word for strength means all of your physical resources. In 1 Corinthians 6 says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? If you grew up in church, you're used to hearing this Bible verse like in a conversation of like purity, but let's just think about it in all of who we are. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You mu- So therefore you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. God does not just buy our souls or our minds or our hearts. He buys all of us himself and he says you must honor God with your body and a culture that says it's just your flesh vessel we find the people of Jesus say actually it's not my flesh vessel it's somebody else's and I'm here to steward it as a resources as a resource for his kingdom I am not just my own flesh vessel. I'm not the only one living here. The minute I say yes to Jesus, somebody else takes up residence within me. It is God himself. Scott McKnight says this, our bodies reflect the giving and receiving life of the Trinity. Our bodies and what we do with our bodies visibly demonstrate the very core of what we are made to do, love God and love others. He says, our bodies... And what we do with our bodies visibly demonstrate the very core of what we are made to do. Love God and love others. You could not love God without your body. And we know that's true because I certainly can't love other people without a body. My favorite thing is when somebody says they're going through a hard thing on Facebook and somebody says, I'm sending good vibes. How do you, how do you like do that? Like, do, like, I'm sending Brendan good vibes. Are you feeling them? Like, like, what is that? When somebody is hurting, you hug them. When someone is grieving, you touch them. This is why it is so amazingly important that Jesus comes and takes on flesh and he touches people. Our bodies matter. By the way, if you, you don't know this about me, maybe, um, it has been almost a year since I hugged you. I have a whole years of hugs up in here. It's very uncomfortable. Scripture clearly says if I don't love other people, I don't love God. So at the very least, I need my body to love God by loving other people. But I, I this is not just my flesh vessel. It is this gift that I have been given and this resource I have been given to stewards so that I can love God with it. Here's what I want to suggest this morning. What I want to suggest is that fasting is biblically, theologically, historically, it's one of the main ways that disciples of Jesus receive their bodies as a gift and steward them as a resource. If you want to receive your body as a gift, not as an enemy to be conquered or cornucopia to stuff with good things, the wisdom of the way of Jesus says fast. If you want to steward this resource, instead of ignoring it or managing its liabilities or decorating it in vanity, the wisdom of the saints and all of God's people throughout history says fast. In fasting, we forego food or drink, and that doesn't sound like a gift. But as our bodies grow weak, As we grow thirsty, as that hunger affects our souls and our hearts, as we get grumpy or in my house, hangry, we come to realize that we have been given a truly precious gift. This body that works and does what we command, it's something that you really come to know in the latter decades of your life when your body doesn't do what it did at one time. When we forego desserts or alcohol and we find in ourselves a craving, a desire, it reminds us what a gift this body is, what a gift it is to live in a body that enjoys the bounty of all that God has made. Steph and I um, have a lot of dietary restrictions. We're both wheat-free now and there's a whole bunch of other stuff. And we just have this ever-growing list of food we get to enjoy in heaven Right, Like we are watching the show last night called Chefs, and they're making bread out of wheat and putting tomato and cheese. These are things we can't eat right now in our house. And I just want to go up and lick the screen. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, and, um, but like not in a gross way. (laughs) Speaking of the white men in coats, but when you are deprived from something, You suddenly become aware of what a gift it is. You're suddenly aware of what a gift it is to be in this body, to have this body, to be a body that can enjoy these things. Fasting, when we forgo food or drink over a short period of time or a long period of time, it becomes aware of what a precious, we become aware of what a precious resource this is. Last week we introduced a series on fasting and named a few ways and Knowing, by the way, that Jesus says, don't tell other people you're fasting. I don't tell you this so you think I'm spiritual. I just tell you to kind of share kind of my inner experience with this. I fasted from after dinner on Tuesday to mid-afternoon on Wednesday. And I was immediately, uh, by middle of the morning on Wednesday, so convicted of how deeply I rely on my own inner abilities to accomplish what I'm asked to accomplish. My own inner strength, my own energy that enlivens my personality, that makes me able to. We had a conversation that afternoon scheduled, and it's usually when it's a crucial conversation, I want to eat right before it, so I don't like rip someone's offense. And I really said to the Lord, "Okay, this might be a giant mistake, but I'm not going to eat before this conversation, and I'm going to trust that it is a it is a place of spiritual strength." So Jesus finds it to be, and it was. I do not handle myself perfectly. But in the lack and in the emptiness, there was a sudden awareness of how precious a gift my body is, of how valuable a resource it is. And so how do we steward this resource? How do we receive it as a gift? What are How does fasting do that for us? Listen, footnote, um, last week we introduced fasting. And so there was this whole bit about what is fasting, how do we do it, what do we avoid if we have like either a physical or mental health reason to not fast. I want to invite you to go back to that if you haven't already. Um, I I tend to preach cumulatively, which is a problem because sometimes we're in and out, so I tend to preach, especially I will in this series, assuming you've heard what I've said before. So please go back to that for some basics. Um, But how do we, in the midst of our fasting, whether you're fasting from one or two things during Lent, or you're fasting for periods of time throughout your week, how do we fast in such a way that we receive uh, God's gift, receive God's gift of our body and steward it well? So three thoughts come to mind. Well, fasting does, first, by the way, um, fasting is how we pray with our bodies, not just with our hearts, our minds. Now, I know there's some people that some people and other people in our church consider weird that will be prone to raise their hands in worship, right, or use their bodies. Some people will kneel in worship. And that's one way that we pray with our bodies, but fasting is how we pray with our bodies. I love how Scott McKnight calls it body prayer, the way that we pray with our bodies, what the mind knows to be true and the spirit yearns for. Fasting is how we pray with our bodies. It's as we experience those hunger pains that we turn to God and experience more of his presence. Second, fasting. Fasting helps us steward our bodies and helps us align them with the kingdom of God. You can't preach a sermon on fasting without getting to 1 Corinthians 9:27. Where Paul says, "I discipline my body." Other translations say, "I beat my body." And keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. And and when you read that verse out of context, it makes you think, see, Paul is saying our bodies are an enemy. But if you read a verse in context, what does Kyle mean by reading a verse in context? You can't ever just like open your Bible and like read one verse and move on with your day. Like there was a whole conversation before and after it that all makes it make sense together and read in context the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is a passage where Paul speaks of the ways that he exercises self-control, how he stewards all of who he is to better align with God's kingdom. And we find Paul saying in this passage that his body isn't an enemy to conquer but a resource to steward so that he can preach and lead in the ways that he's called to do it. And believe me, there's a subtle difference. There's a subtle difference. This is why fasting is dangerous. There's a subtle difference between fasting to honor the Lord and steward our bodies and fasting to, like, conquer the enemy. But fasting is a way that we discipline our bodies. It's a way that we practice self-control. It's how we check our appetites and desires, and we learn to flex a muscle, so rarely flex in our cultural moment. Let me ask you, unless you willingly hire a personal trainer or you go to Weight Watchers or something, there is no place in our culture asking us to exercise self-control. Really as an entire culture, self-control, self-mastery, self-restraint is not a value. of in Australia, says that the people of Jesus bring renewal and revival to their cultures when they live in counter-step to their culture. When the culture steps with its left foot, we step with our right. When the culture zigs, we zag. And in a culture that is zigging toward a new kind of Gnosticism, where the body is just a flesh vessel to be used however you want, where frankly the, gender of definition, the, gender, the definition of gender and sexuality and maleness and femaleness is up to interpretation, what if we, as the culture zigs to that new kind of Gnosticism, what if we zag toward a kind of discipleship that honors the body, that receives it as a gift, that stewards it as a resource, and what if we do that through the self-discipline and self-denial of fasting? What if the way that we zag in a culture that is zigging is by talking less and living more? So let me close just by reading Paul's words to the Corinthians to you just once more. And by the way, earlier in 1 Corinthians 6, it's interesting. He says, Don't you know your bodies have been joined to Jesus? Don't you know your body has been joined to Jesus? Don't you know, Paul is saying, that Jesus has no body on earth but yours? Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Amen. would you come coming.
1: Here at Region, we end our sermons with response time because we want to be wise builders, and we want to um, build our lives on the word of God, and we want to act on it and not just listen to it. And so as I was sitting listening to Kyle's sermon and kind of praying, Father, what, what are you highlighting today? Um, one of the words that came to mind is celebrate. And maybe for some of you, you've stepped into this fasting. And so maybe the Father today wants to invite you to celebrate how you've seen him at work in your life over the last week. Um, Maybe there's something he did in a significant way. Maybe there's a way he got your attention and you acted on that. So that's my first question. I think my second question is, if you're still on the fence about this, if you're still struggling to really lean in, my question is, what's stopping you? Um, what is holding you back from stepping into kind of this idea of um, giving up some control, of, of wanting to not have self-mastery, of not wanting to have self-discipline? And, and how is the Father getting your attention there? Um, I think so often the lie that Satan tells us is that we're going to lose a lot, or we're going to miss a lot, that somehow there's something on the line. And I think Jesus' invitation is there's so much more to gain in the losing So um, let's just take a moment. Let's reflect. Is there something the Father wants to celebrate with you? Or is there an area where he's, again, asking and inviting you to step into kind of that self-discipline, that self-mastery? So let's just take a moment. Father, we confess this morning that we often think too little or too much about our bodies. And so we ask that we would think of them as how you think of them, that we would view them as a resource for your kingdom and for your work. Father, um, I pray and thank you for those who this week saw you move and work in ways that they did not expect when they sat here last Sunday, but who took a step of faith. We celebrate what you've done in their lives this week. Father, I pray for those who sit here still unsure, uncertain, unconvinced. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in their hearts today and that as they take that step of faith and step into that um, lifestyle of self-discipline for the sake of the kingdom, that they would see such fruit this week in ways that they can't even imagine today. We just ask these things in your precious name. Amen.
0: If you're watching online, we're going to take communion together and we're bringing it back to every week. So run to your kitchen if you need to. Grab some crackers and some juice. I was thinking about how St. Teresa says, God protect me from gloomy saints. Unless we be gloomy counterculturalists who mope and gloom we gather and we feast not that this feels much like a feast does it but it is a down payment on the feast of his presence among us and on the picture that we're given in revelation that heaven is a dinner party where all of the people who have loved God and been called according to his purposes gather together at the marriage Supper of the Lamb. So if you've not done this with us in the room before, you rip off the, the part where the cracker is and hold that. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must eat my flesh and drink my blood. He says, I am the bread of life. Take and eat. Jesus says, I am the true vine, I am the living water, take and drink. Can I invite you you to stand and we'll sing together as we close. God is doing something in your life uh, this morning and you need prayer, our oversight team would be glad to pray with you. There's a room that we use just kind of across the foyer there, you'll see the door open. And it can be about something going on in your life. It can be about something in the sermon. It can be about whatever. But we're glad to be with you. May you go and may you learn to hunger after God. May you receive your body as a gift and a resource. I love you so much. We'll see you next time. Peace.